Well, as we know, many of the kids are getting ready to go back to school. That's true in my house. And so it's this season of back-to-school shopping, that last-minute back-to-school shopping, I'm sure, for many. And so in this season, I need to make a confession to you. And my confession is that I loathe shopping for clothes. And frankly, I could care less about clothes. I do wear them, fortunately. But I could really care less. And I realize that I can't look like a slob in life. But if it wasn't for my lovely mom when I was growing up, or if it wasn't for my lovely wife now, I would probably wear all my clothes until they're embarrassingly worn out. And my wife would probably tell you that I still do that in some cases. Basically, for me, each morning, the less that I have to think about my outfit, the better. How quickly can I make this decision and move on with my life? What's funny is occasionally I do get some motivation to kind of try to freshen up the wardrobe a little bit. And so several months ago, I was strangely motivated, and I did a big shopping spree at Goodwill. (laughs) And I went into Goodwill, and I loaded about 23 different items into my car, pants and suit jackets and shirts and all sorts of things. It was all, I was all loaded up, and it was overflowing, and I was all ready to go try everything on. And I get to all the change rooms, and the sign says, for your health and safety, fitting rooms are closed. Unbelievable, because I'm not one of those, oh, just order it and then return it. No, I have to put it on my body if I'm going to commit myself to it. And so that was the worst possible outcome for my clothing shopping spree. In this letter to the Ephesians that we've been working through over these weeks, Paul goes to great lengths to paint a picture of a new family, a new humanity, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. And he says it's a people who's diverse in every way, ethnically, diverse in terms of spiritual gifting that they bring to the body. And this new humanity, he says, is saved by the work of Jesus Christ, but not only that, called to his purposes. Our text this morning is no exception. And our text carries this theme, and this morning in our text we'll see how Paul calls the people of God to put on, like a garment, the new self, this redeemed self. This new humanity that was inaugurated in Jesus Christ. The good news for the less fashionable among us, like myself, is that the attire options are pretty straightforward. It's the old self, it's the old clothes, or the new self, the new clothes. This morning I want to briefly explore the old clothes What are we talking about? What does that look like? What does a world apart from Christ put on? Then we'll look at the new self, the new clothes, which those of us in Christ with the Holy Spirit in us are called to put on each day. And last, and I think most importantly, we'll consider the amazing greater purpose for all of it. As we turn to God's word, let us pray. 
God, thank you for calling us together to be your people, to be a new society, a new humanity, representing you in this world. Lord, for this text with its simple pictures and concepts and clear message, Lord, apply it by your spirit to us that we might walk in faith and obedience to you. Open our hearts and our minds now, Lord, that we might receive what you have this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Right away in verse 17, Paul exhorts this church that he's addressing to no longer live, he says, as the Gentiles do. And Gentiles, in this sense here, just refers to unredeemed humanity. In the Old Testament, in that context, Gentile referred to those nations outside of Israel, outside of the covenant people of God. But as we see in the new covenant in Jesus, non-Jews, Gentiles are brought into the community. And so what Paul is saying here is just a general sense of unredeemed humanity. Unbelieving, idolatrous humanity. Those separated from the life and promises of God. Well, how do these Gentiles operate? Paul says that their thinking is characterized by futility. And their thought patterns and behaviors are characterized by idolatry. In Paul's day, there was any number of idolatrous options to choose from. There was deities and their idols thought to provide fertility. Deities and their idols thought to have some power over favorable weather for growing crops. Deities that could grant power over enemies, protect your land. There was also idolatry focused on the empire in which they lived. In today's terms, futility of thinking and idolatrous behavior can lead us to fixation on all sorts of things. Wealth, education, sex, power, even good things, even one's children, even one's own reputation. As Tim Keller put it one time, idols are often good things that we make ultimate things. But Paul says they're also characterized by a hardened heart, a callous heart. We're talking about those who walk in a willful resistance to God, to his truth, to his purposes. It's those whose conscience is just seared to the point where even that conscience within them won't help them divert from debauchery, impurity, all forms of evil. Romans 1 is maybe the most vivid picture of what we're talking about. Paul there, speaking of this unbelieving humanity, this humanity that wears the old clothes, he says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. He goes on, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals, reptiles. Verse 23, Paul is talking about the idolatry of the pagan religion all around him, the idolatry of the 
emperor worship of the day. But those old clothes, when worn, behaviorally working themselves out in all sorts of ways. All manner of failure to love one's neighbor. Verse 19, he says, sensuality, which often looks like using others for personal gratification, and he says, with a continual lust for more. Verse 25, lying, speaking falsehood. Verse 28, stealing. Verse 29, using one's words to inflict harm. Verse 31, acting in anger and malice towards others. So this is the old clothes. This is the old self. This is the self untethered from the life and the spirit of God. This is fallen humanity. As Paul wrote this letter and as it was distributed to the churches it was intended for, the people listening probably thought, yeah, that was me. Yeah, I didn't know any better. Maybe you read these verses and you say, thank God that he saved me from that. Thank God that he is helping me remove that old garment day in and day out. Maybe there was never a time where you ran hard into some of these behaviors, some of these characteristics, but as we look at our lives, and as we're honest, we know that we all have propensity to slide in those directions. So Paul says to this church, take that off. He says, that doesn't fit you anymore, church. Those clothes don't fit. Throw them out. And then he says, here's the new clothes. He says, here's the new self. And as we see, as Paul describes it, the new self thinks and operates opposite the old self. Verse 23, rather than being darkened in understanding and ignorant, he says the new self is renewed in the mind, submitted to the truth of God. He says in verse 25, rather than lying, the new self speaks truthfully to one's neighbor, to one's coworker, to one's boss, to one's friend, to one's spouse. Verse 28, rather than stealing, the new self that is able, seeks gainful employment, not just for building up personal riches, but be able to give generously. Verse 29, rather than tearing others down with one's tongue, the new self builds each others up with words. How true is that in our lives? The power of the tongue, the power of the words that we say. Have you ever said something out loud that you just wanted to then cast a line at and just hook and reel that all the way back in. And that's often true of our most intimate relationships. Spouses, family, close friends, isn't it? Paul says, build each, build each other up. Finally, verse 31 and 32, he says, rather than harboring malice, rage, bitterness towards others, the new self is kind, compassionate, and forgiving. So all of these, these are the characteristics of the new clothes. But this isn't just self-help. This is self-connected to the life and spirit of God in us, the new humanity. Paul knew the temptation of the old self very well. 
It nipped at his heels at times, I'm sure. It was knocking on his door, so to speak, to slide into the old ways. And so he doubles down saying to the church, don't put that on, throw that out. It doesn't fit you anymore. Last week, my kids discovered cicadas, the bug, for the first time. You might be familiar with cicadas. Here my, we have my son Isaac. He didn't want to hold it in his hand, even though it's just a useless shell of its former self, quite literally. But he didn't want to hold it, so he put it in the shovel. And we took a nice picture. But this was new to them. If you're not familiar with cicadas, maybe you are. Depending on the species, some of those don't come out of the ground that they've been living and burrowing in for, in some cases, as long as 17 years. But then they finally emerge and they attach to trees and they shed that, that old exoskeleton, that old shell of what they were. And then they create that classic summertime humming, chirping that you've probably heard. But after they come out and they attach to something, they then break out of that exoskeleton and they stretch their wings and they fly. Much like the cicada, we all once operated in an old self, living in spiritual darkness, disconnected from the Spirit of God. But as we know God by his grace, breaks into our story, makes us new, calls us to the light, helps us shed the old self, and then enables us to fly in him. Much like that exoskeleton there of the cicada that's left behind, those old clothes no longer fit anymore. They no longer serve a purpose for us. So we let them go. The sex is pretty straightforward, isn't it? There's the old with all of its behaviors and patterns. There's the new, the new humanity with all of its new behaviors, redeemed behaviors, patterns of thought. But what's the greater purpose here? I don't know about you, but in my life, a faith that just keeps me well-behaved or virtuous or moral has never really cut it for me. That's why as a young person, God won me over as I experienced him and his purposes and his design. What is the higher calling? Well, look with me, if you will, at verse 24. Paul tells the church there to put off the old self. And then he says to put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Another translation says, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The point is, did you know that one goal of your being saved by Christ is that you might look like God? that you might look like your heavenly father as his sons and daughters. This was God's design from the very beginning, in fact. From the very beginning of humanity, 
I recently re- kind of rediscovered some scholars who help us to see what's going on in those earliest chapters of the Bible and to appreciate them in their context. In the context, there is this landscape of ancient Near Eastern religion full of man-made temples, full of man-made idols of wood and metal, stone. And into those temples was put these idols as a signal of, in some sense, the power, the presence of the deity being worshipped. Well, as we read carefully the Old Testament, those early accounts of creation, it can be argued that in some sense God creates all that we know and all that we see, the heavens and the earth, as his temple palace. And then he fills it with his glory. The heavens and the earth declare the glory of God, the psalmist says. But in that ancient Near Eastern context, within that cosmic temple palace that God has set up, what would God place to signal his presence and his power and his likeness? You and me. You and me. Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then of the first man, Adam, Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and the man became a living being. So in that context, rather than these inanimate, useless idols of wood, stone, and metal, God places image bearers, humanity, that might signal his glory and his power and his presence, animated by his very spirit. But as we read on, tragically what happens is that image is distorted. It's corrupted it devolves into a different kind of image. Now, the whole world, all of humanity, is still created in the image of God. That's why there's still a capacity in all of us for goodness, for commitment in relationships, for faithfulness, for purity even. But it's become corrupted distorted. But God in his grace is restoring that image in us. And he does this supremely in Jesus Christ, the God-man, the forerunner of our faith. And then he promises a restoration in us by his spirit as we trust him. Our kids are seven and three, and as they've gotten older, people comment about who they look more like. Many people think my son, Isaac, looks like my wife. Other people think my daughter looks a little bit more like me. But our kids image us in other ways, don't they? My daughter got my stubbornness. My daughter the other night wanted to do a little tea party with her stuffed animals, and she could not find the lid of the teapot 
And so she rifled through her room and through the toys and all the things just to find the teapot lid. And I was, as I was watching this all unfold, I, I said, oh my gosh, that is me. When I lose something, I rifle through everything. All the world stops until I find what I'm looking for. With our kids, they get some of the good. They get some of the not so good. But as sons and daughters of God who are being transformed every day into the image of our Heavenly Father, it's all good. It's all good. With that thought in mind, Paul can say in his next breath, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, let this just strike you in a fresh way. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loves us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and as a sacrifice to God. Good news for people like me, good news for all of us, is that the wardrobe for us is quite straightforward. It's quite simple. It's the old clothes. It's the new clothes. As we go from this place this week, as we engage family and friends and coworkers and neighbors, whoever God brings across our path, we can ask ourselves, am I wearing the new clothes right now? Or am I stuck in some old garment? Am I failing to love or am I loving well? Does what I'm doing right now, what I'm saying, how I'm thinking and behaving, does that fit a child of God called to look like my Heavenly Father? Friends, we rest secure knowing that God is restoring his beautiful image in us for the good of this world and for the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord, we just ask for your help and for your spirit to represent you well. Thank you for calling us into your family. Pray, Lord, that as your sons and daughters, we might look like you, our heavenly Father. God, shed from us whatever old garment we might be wearing, that we might be made new, and put you on every day in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.